You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1005 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's show is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the Locker Room app from the iOS app store and find one of our Locked on Rooms. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's show will focus on all kinds of stuff from Hawks Knicks. In fact, Nikias Duncan of the Dunker Spot podcast and basketball news is joining me on the show today. Good friend of the podcast, Nikias was on once before back last year and it's been a while but it was time and he is very smart and awesome so that was coming up momentarily on the show beyond that not a ton going on in Hawksland. obviously they're in the middle of this playoff series leading 3-1 over the Knicks if you missed yesterday's podcast I broke down everything from game four that is still available on the feed if you missed anything from that game the Hawks are off today on Monday no practice at all for Atlanta no media availability of any kind so they have sort of the Memorial Day holiday to themselves but they've been uh, you know it's kind of a long break the Hawks played Sunday afternoon and then don't play again until Wednesday night. You don't really see that anything longer than that, honestly, within a playoff series. So that's probably why they had the day off on Monday. They'll practice on Tuesday before flying back to New York for Game 5 on Wednesday evening. Also, there was a video that I actually did not see until today. Adrian Wojnarowski was on ESPN as part of their uh, studio coverage of, of the playoffs over the weekend. He basically alluded to Nate McMillan all but certain, being the permanent head coach. Again, nothing breaking news there. Obviously not a surprise. That's been the assumption for many people, but Woj does not usually uh, misspeak, and he was pretty clear that that's the expectation at this point in time. So I saw people uh, sending that to me or tagging me on that tweet. I definitely saw it. It wasn't like a formal report. It was just on the sort of on the air, off the cuff, but still um, not an accident, I'm sure, from Woj. So keep an eye on that as we get going. And obviously once the season ends, the Hawks will address that in some form or fashion. And also stay on the road to the finals. Our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. With 2.6 carbs, 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Last thing before we get to Nikias, uh, the betting odds are out officially for the rest of the series for Hawks-Knicks. Our friends at BetOnline.ag make the Hawks a minus 1250 favorite. That's obviously a massive number. Uh, the implied odds, for those of you who are not huge gamblers, I will, I will sort of translate this for you. That means the line implies the Hawks have a 92.6% chance to win the series against New York. Even without a home court, you know, the 3-1 lead obviously speaks for itself, and the Hawks, I think, are the better team on top of that. 538 after the dust settled last night was at 96%. And Sportsline, where I work a little bit for CBS Sports, they have it at 91%. I've not seen any projection or betting line of any kind that's had any, anything less than 90%, basically, for the Hawks at this point in time. I stressed this yesterday, and I will do so again with, with the Caius momentarily. This series is not over. The Hawks are massive favorites, yes, but nothing is official, so keep that in mind throughout this entire interview that you're about to hear with the Caius and I and also the betting market. So I uh, just wanted to at least point that out, what the stakes are at this point in time. I will say, if the Knicks are able to win Game 5, that number will come down drastically. So just keep an eye on that. And the Knicks actually, right now, our friends at Online actually have the Knicks favored slightly in Game 5. So keep that in mind as well. And of course, we'll have plenty from Game 5. I'll have my normal re recap podcast after that on Wednesday. So keep it locked here. Please subscribe to the show. Tell your friends I've had great support. And thank you very much for listening to the podcast the last several weeks and months. Keep it up. Tell your friends. All that fun stuff. Thank you again for supporting the podcast. All right, before we get to Nikias, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Locker Room. 
Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or your favorite sport. Locker Room is a perfect place to start and join conversations about the league, and you'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, of course, reacting to all the biggest news and rumors. You can even find lots on hosts across MLB, NBA, and the NHL, including some of our big-name folks. In fact, I know for a fact the Hollinger Dunkin' Podcast has been on there, um, recording live and then sharing that on their podcast platform. All kinds of our hosts are up and down the channels. You can find them in the Locked On Rooms, and you definitely should go ahead and check that out now. In fact... Go download the free Locker Room app, currently available on all iOS devices, and be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join any of the conversations about the NFL, MLB, and NHL, in addition to the NBA, for all the latest league updates. I know you'll find incredible rooms about your favorite teams in your leagues, and I'll be sure to let you know once there are even more rooms going on for the Locked On team. Download the Locker Room app today. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. Today's show is also brought to you by the good folks at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models in the car or truck world, it's now impossible to stock all of the parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure often pointless questioning from someone at a storefront and have to wait while someone at the counter orders the parts on the computer, only choosing the brand that the warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com right now, both at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for all the audio and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need. Just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is uniquely and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your car and choose the brands, specs, and prices that you prefer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you went right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box to know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com I am joined now by one of the hosts of The Dunker Spot, a writer for the Basketball News, and a friend of the podcast. Nikaias Duncan is here. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, man. How are you? I'm living the dream. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. We're recording this on Memorial Day. Uh, not like a you know a crazy holiday, but still, it's a holiday, and you're doing this for me, so I appreciate that. Oh, no problem, man. Just chilling in the house today. It's all good. <laughs> there you, uh, it's kind of weird, actually. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I was planning to ask you this, but is it bizarre to you that the leagues only have – there's only two games today and they're both at night? I feel like this has been a good opportunity for the league to, like, put some afternoon games on. I don't know why I'm thinking that. but Yeah, like, it's an unusually light slate today. And then you, like, peek the NBA app on, like, Wednesday, and there's a possibility of having, like, four games. I'm just like, well, this is pretty interesting, I suppose. But, eh, it is what it is. Yeah, not ideal planning, but alas, uh, the Hawks have two days off in between games, and that allows us to dive in a little bit here. Uh, you know, clearly we'll, we'll get into some um, nuts and bolts, but I guess I'll just ask you this. Um, is there a broad takeaway that you have from both this weekend? I know you were in Atlanta for these games and also uh, just the series overall because this is seen as sort of a toss-up by most people, and the Hawks have been pretty dominant, it seems, through four games. Uh, the broad takeaway I have is that we, they are who they thought we were, or <laughs> we thought they were rather like the Hawks have a more talented roster than the Knicks. And it just kind of comes down to that. And as this has shifted from a regular season series to a playoff series, and the Hawks have been able to a come into it healthier and B just really lock in on what the Knicks want to do. It's kind of revealed that the Knicks were, and are a high floor, low ceiling team without many counters based on the personnel that they have. 
So that's why, you know, I didn't expect this kind of drastic dip in efficiency from Julius Randle. But it's happened and it makes sense because the defense is just completely keyed in on him. He's still taking pretty much the same diet of tough shots that he went off on during the regular season series and they aren't falling and he isn't getting help from virtually anyone outside of Derrick Rose right now. And on the other end, the Hawks are just kind of, it's, it's something that I wrote about over the weekend for basketballnews.com. Like what the Hawks do, what the Knicks do from a schematic standpoint, it's disciplined. It makes sense, but there are also obvious exploits within that scheme. And Trey Young is the perfect guy to exploit literally all of them. And he's done that throughout the series and the Knicks just don't have an answer for him. Yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of funny now, and I, I did poke fun of a little bit of this before the series started, but there was, uh, I would say, multiple uh, national and local people that uh, just anointed Julius Randle as the best player in the series before it started, and that, that raised my eyebrows when it happened, and uh, those takes have not aged terribly gracefully in this series. I don't want to make too much out of four games, but uh, Trey has obviously been the best player in the series. Uh, I want to be, we'll, we'll, we'll be positive. Let's, let's start there. I know you mentioned, you know, sort of he's been able to do kind of whatever he wants, Um I feel like this, there's been sort of a trade-off too because the Knicks have been forced to play Derrick Rose so much because he's their only offensive creator right now that's having any, any success. Mm-hmm. But defensively, that makes them worse on that end of the floor as well. And not that that would fix everything, but it's kind of just been, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify, but it feels like Trey is just quite literally done almost whatever he wanted the entire series. And that was kind of foreseeable, but also he's just been so comfortable and so good that it's just noteworthy, I think. Yeah, like I'm waiting for the bad game from Trey and it hasn't happened. Yep. Like even with him, like I could see him like making the right decisions and then just the shot not falling or stuff like that. But like, it's, he has been in total control through four games. Like I made the joke with Steve about it. Like the Hawks are may just be like a rotation decision away from this series already being over. Yeah. That's just how dominant they've been. And to that point, like I, the Knicks have gotten good stuff out of Derrick Rose, but inserting him into the starting lineup, not only does it, I'm less concerned about the defense and more concerned about what it does to the rest of the rotation. Like Derrick Rose as a starter means that the bench is light on creation. That's asking a lot of Alec Burks to create. That's asking a lot of Emmanuel Quickly, who has not been good in this series at all. Yep. Outside of like a hot stretch during game one. And if you're not getting anything from the bench, Julius Randle has like four guys looking at him every time he touches the ball <laughs> and RJ Barrett just has not been able to do anything. Yeah. Is, <laughs> it's, it's been a bad, and like <clears throat> this felt like the kind of series that RJ would be bad in. So like, I don't think this is anything to write him off long-term or anything like that, but just the way he leans in terms of tendencies, like he's, he's a lefty obviously, but like everything is so left-hand dominant for him. Like they, the Knicks, um, they start him a lot on the right side of the floor just so he can have those uh, those reads to his left, those drives to his left. And, like, with the way that the Hawks are taking away the middle, like, it's it's for, it's pretty predictable that he would struggle in a series like this. So now the, the Knicks are just kind of out of answers at this point. Like, their only hope right now is hoping that the Hawks miss shots. And with the rate that Trey is creating good shots for himself and for others, that's not a bet I would be comfortable making. No, it felt like, uh, you know, at least for the first quarter, if not the first half of game four, the Hawks were just not playing very well and they were still winning at halftime, which was a pretty big flashing red light to me because, you know, they made some shots in the second quarter, but the first, I think they were two of 12 in the, from three in the first quarter. And that was kind of why the Knicks were hanging around. It felt like mm. they just don't seem to have 
many offensive answers. And, um, you know, I was not terribly worried about the Hawks defense and said that as much in this series. But um, while we're on the topic of, of Barrett and even Randall, like I've been confused on, you know, not that this is a great series for Barrett, but he's almost been a jump shooter the whole series. And I'm not mm. entirely sure why that is. I mean, there's been a few moments otherwise, but um, this sort of fits in the conversation that I want to ask you about, about Trey uh, before we move on from that is just, do you feel like they haven't picked on Trey enough defensively? Cause that's, that's been a talking point that I've seen uh, both locally and nationally is like, look, the Knicks are just not taking advantage of him. And I can see that, but at the same time, they don't have a ton of personnel potentially to really do that. Um, it's a little bit of both. Obviously I would say I've, I've been frustrated with maybe not frustrated as word. Like I'm not emotionally invested or anything, but like, it's been, <laughs> it's been very weird that the Knicks haven't gone after Trey more yeah. than they have. Like, the Hawks have stashed Trey on Reggie Bullock because Reggie Bullock is not going to dribble the ball very often. And it's like I can count on one hand the amount of times I've seen like a ghost screen for R.J. Barrett, you know, from Reggie Bullock just to get Trey into the action. Or the Knicks will try to pick at Trey. They'll run a pick and roll at him. Trey will show and recover. And the Knicks are like, oh, well, didn't work. Let's do something else. And I'm just like, what are we doing? And like I compare that to what I've seen or what I saw, I should say, and like heat bucks, right? To where there was a stretch in game four where the heat throw in Nemanja Bielitsa and he hit some threes and the bucks are like, oh, he's on the floor where we're just going to run a pick and roll at Bielitsa. We're going to force the switch and he's going to have to guard Giannis. And we're just going to do that over and over and over and over again to the point where the heat just couldn't play him anymore. And I'm just wondering with everything else kind of going to poop for the Knicks on offense, why have they not just settled in on, okay, we are going to put three guys on the weak side. We're going to find where Trey is. We're going to isolate that on the other side of the floor. We're going to run pick and roll until we get the switch. And if we don't get the switch, we're going to attack that show and recover. We're going to get to the basket. We're going to get good stuff out of it. We're just going to keep doing that over and over until they prove that they can stop it. it it's I, I don't get it. It just doesn't make sense to me that they haven't leaned into that more. I, I totally agree. And not that, you know, that's more of an adjustment within a series, but at the same time, I expected to see that at some point, especially if the Knicks were struggling offensively and they obviously have been, they have a 103 offensive rating in the series through four games and they just haven't really done it. I, I can think of a, a possession. It might've been game one or game two where RJ got him in the post and just score like he wasn't even standing there. And mm-hmm. that's just, it's one possession, but I feel like uh, if I'm the Knicks uh, in game five and I would have said the same thing before game four, like maybe try to do that a little bit. And I know that's not necessarily their character and they don't have this offensive. Uh, I think part of it maybe, and you can correct me, part of this maybe that they don't have that kind of guy. I mean, maybe it's Randall, but Randall has been a non-factor in the series for the most part, which is crazy. I guess we can talk about him now too. Is that part of why you think they haven't been able to do the stuff to take advantage of the mess matches? Because Randall's just kind of not been himself and he's been, a lot of tough shots, which he's kind of made, but he's just not been there. I mean, he had the one good half when they won in game two, and that's kind of been it for the whole series. Yeah, I, I just can't shoot the Knicks that kind of bail. Like, no, they don't have <laughs> like, like they don't have a like a Luca level creator or a Trey level creator at that at that point to where you can just kind of clear it out that way and feel good about it. But like that's still an easy exploit from a schematic standpoint. Like that's nothing that's nothing complex. Like, as much as <clears throat> You know, we talk about the tough shot making that Julius Randle has had this season. That's been a large part of why he's probably going to make an all NBA team this year. Like one of the things that we've talked about the dunker spot is like, or Steve has talked about it specifically is that the Knicks aren't just giving Randle the ball. Like they are using him in a variety of ways. Like they'll let him run the ball up. They'll run him off of screens. They'll let him initiate pick and rolls. 
either just to clear a side, let them attack, or to attack a mismatch. So I'm just like, with Randall not having success with his traditional post-ups and with the way that the Hawks are loading up, why not simplify things for him? Like, he's going to have the ball in his hands anyway. Get him 25, you know, 25 feet from the basket. Find Reggie Bullock. Make him screen or ghost the screen or whatever. And you're going to get a quick hitter for Reggie Bullock on the move. Or you're going to have Julius Randle attacking against some kind of scramble. And you get him downhill with a little bit more space than he's been able to operate with. And you get him looks that way. And if you lose that way, then fine. But, like, this is low-hanging fruit. Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> but it hasn't <laughs> been in this series. Uh, all right, before we get to uh, more on the series with Nikias, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Bet online is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You track all the action at betonline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here, as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB, NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at betonline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, I want to follow up with you on the Randall thing. Uh, you know, I, I want to make sure we give some credit to the Hawks because I think the Hawks have done a very good job with their game plan defensively in this series overall and also executing on Randall. Part of that's even been like, Gallinari's done a pretty good job defensively, uh, hilariously in the series. He's not a good defender, but he's done a pretty recent job, and they're obviously using Capella to shade, all mm. that stuff. What do you make of the defensive game plan? It's obviously been successful, but is that just is it just the Knicks struggling, or have the Hawks ha- sort of unlocked something here? Uh, it's both. Like again, I go back to the Knicks didn't really have a high ceiling for their offense anyway. Like they were a home court team, which shouldn't be sneezed at. Like they were good this season, but it was on the strength of their defense, and there were always lingering questions about their offense the Knicks have I mean the Hawks have done a great job of like hammering home those limitations again just the way that they've kind of shut down the middle of the floor and have basically made for Julius Randle in particular like he has to go baseline like that's kind of his route or he's driving into a thicket of bodies and like that simple stuff but that smart stuff so the Hawks definitely deserve credit for that um, I love the way that if I want to give a quick hat tip to Nate McMillan, like the matchups in particular have been sound to me like coming out in game one when the Knicks were still playing Alfred Payton for whatever reason, coming out in game one and John Collins <laughs> is on Alfred Payton. I'm just like, yeah. ah, this is very different. Okay. So they've done that. Like the usage of DeAndre Hunter, like they've had him on Randall. They've had him on Barrett. They've had him on Rose at different points of the series. Like they don't mind moving him around. He's been, probably the most underrated guy in this series, honestly. But just the uses of DeAndre Hunter, just to make things even more difficult on the Knicks to get any kind of flow on offense, it's been a very sound game plan. Yeah, I think Hunter, they've talked about it. He's talked about it too. Nate has. He's that chess piece that they like to move around, and he's – one of a kind on this roster and that's I think people got tired of us uh, and me in particular talking about how much they missed him but it's just true I mean you could look at that game in game four he wasn't great on offense by any means he wasn't a huge impact guy on that on the floor but he just allows them to do stuff defensively that they can't do when he's not playing he just is able to do 
whatever they put him on rose to put a fire out there or they have him start on randall to your point and he's been he's been huge and the fact that they you know collins got kind of torched by randall in the regular season mm-hmm. and he's done a pretty good job i think uh overall defensively in the series not only as a help guy where he's usually pretty solid but even on the ball and i mentioned this but I feel like they even had a plan to have Gallinari kind of use what he can do defensively, which is limited, but Mm -hmm. he's strong. Like Gallinari is a big man who is very strong. And if he has help and you don't have Randall uh, getting sort of downhill with the ball in his hands, he can hold up in that spot. So it feels like while Randall has been pretty terrible and a lot of that's on him, the Hawks have done a lot. I feel like to make that happen. Right. And even to the Gallo point, right? Like watch him when he, you know, go back through some clips and look at when Julius Randle catches the ball. The first thing Gallo does is like shift his body positioning. Like we are going to funnel you to the baseline. That is that you're not getting to the middle. And it's that simple. He's not a great one-on-one defender at all, but like you position your body in a certain way, there are only certain pathways you can take as a ball handler. He's doing a great job of doing that and then trusting the help behind him. Cause I mean, if you have Gallo doing that and you have uh, Clint Capella rotating behind that, and then the guys behind those two are like taking away the corner pass or whatever you're making the kickouts tougher. And then with the Knicks playing slow in general, now you're looking at a late shot clock situation and you're forcing Julius Randle into an even tougher shot than he wants to take. It, it all just adds up. So I like the fact that the, the Hawks have just kind of simplified things like, all right, cool. We're going to load up on the middle. We're going to shade your baseline. If you can make plays out of that, cool. If you can't, you're not going to score. And through four games in the series, the Knicks have not really been able to score. Yeah, it's been uh, notable pretty much across the board. They've had uh, you know a half year or there where they've been able to be effective, and that's kind of been it. Uh, I, I would be remiss. I have to ask you this. Uh, what have you thought about McMillan's uh, willingness to go deep into the bench and play the second unit? It's been kind of a topic on my podcast and across Hawks Twitter. Uh, it didn't burn them in game four. I think it did burn them in game two mm-hmm. uh, when they lost. Has that, has that been as, as alarming to you as it's been to some? Uh, he didn't do it at all in game three, and then he kind of went back to it for, what, you know, two and a half minutes in game four. Yeah, like it's not a super deal breaker for me right now. It absolutely cost me game two, I feel like. Yeah. And that's why I made the comment on the pod. Like, we should be talking about what the Hawks are going to look like against Philly right now instead of waiting on them to kind of finish things off in game five, which for what it's worth, I think they're going to do. Like, I just don't see a pathway to the Knicks making this a series at all. But <clears throat> didn't like it in game two. I I just need him to keep at least one of the ball handlers on the court at, at all times. <laughs> yeah. That's just kind of where I'm at. Like Trey or Bogey has to be on the floor at all times. Like mix in some Lou Williams if you must. That's fine. Lou's been fine to me. But like you you can't have both of those guys on the on the bench at the same time. <clears throat> he figured That's, it. He figured it out. I mean, it, it felt like in game three, he it was a total stagger the entire game. They played all 48 minutes without with either Trey or Bogdanovich on the floor. And then for the most part in game four, they did it. And, but then mm-hmm. it, sort of inexplicably, there was that two and a half minute stretch when they were only minus four, but you know, minus four and two and a half minutes is not great. And it honestly could have been worse. Uh, Barrett had yep. a three that got waved off at the buzzer it would have been mm-hmm. even worse. Um, right. So it didn't bite them, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it seemed, it seems so simple, but I just couldn't figure out why they went back to it in game four. Yeah. I don't, I guess maybe it was just a matter of, we feel like we got the game control and we can really steal some minutes here. Yeah, maybe. And, and if they do make a run, then our key guys are going to be more rested with that burn. Like, I think I don't like the process, of course, because I just think you can you can just you don't have to do that. But I can get to thinking of, all right, as long as it's not if it's minus four instead of like minus 12, we can deal. And if it gets to minus 12, then we just put Trey and Bogey on the floor together and then they close things out. 
So I, I get him just kind of using the margin for error there, but this is the playoffs and you should try to eliminate any margin for error if you yeah. can help it. So that's, <laughs> that's just kind of where I'm at with that. You would think so. Um, I want to go back to some positives now uh, and ask you about Kevin Herter because I feel like Kevin Herter has been uh, very good in the series, not in a high profile way. He's had a couple of, you know, long range threes, like, you know, 29 footers that have been attention grabbing, but I think it's just been a little stuff. I think he's been so good all year, honestly, as a supporting piece, but he's kind of got some shine in the series. What have you seen from him? Like, what do you, what do you make of him as a player? Because now he's sort of in this role as the third wing, which is totally fine. And he's almost overqualified for it. I don't know. He's been, I think he's been really good. I want to know what you thought of him. Um, he hasn't popped off my screen, which I think is, I think that's fine. Cause I think he can go the other way with him, with him trying to figure out where he fits in. Um, <clears throat> but no, the shot making has been there. Like I've liked some of the pick and roll reads that he's made um, second side. He's doing what they ask him to do, which is a very cliche thing to say, but <laughs> like, true. this is, but this is what, <laughs> but this is what you want for your second day ball handler. Like, Allow your primary to shift the defense, swing the ball to the other side of the floor once the defense rotates, and let that guy attack from there. And Cameron Herter can do that. He's not a guy that can get to the rim on a whim, but if the defense is rotating, he can attack those cracks. He has, you know, all the basic pick and roll reads in the book, so he can make those when necessary. He's obviously a great spot up shooter. He's a very good pull up shooter as well. So you know, two level scorer in that regard. Like he's filled in the gaps that they've needed him to fill in. Yeah. Um... You know, obviously, it's such a small role, and Bogdanovich has kind of supplanted him as a starter, which is totally fine. And Bogdanovich is the better player, but uh, just noteworthy that they have some depth, and he'll be he'll be a free agent in a year, and we'll they'll figure all that out. But they've been uh, I don't know. I almost want to ask you. I guess we'll just do this now. Uh, this Hawks team has not been full strength all season long, and then suddenly they were at the time that you want to be full strength mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Um, if I, it's hard to ask you to like re, re-engineer this, but it's more of a broad question looking ahead because I think, like you said earlier, they're probably going to win this series. H- how good is is this Hawks team as constructed? Because it's one of those things where I'm not even sure I know because we just haven't seen it all year long. And now they're in this definitely a favorable matchup in the first round. But I get this question a lot. I've been trying to ask all, all my guests this recently. Like, how, how good are they right now? Uh, I think they're quite good, especially as they've gotten healthy. They're figuring out what backcourt works. And now it's just kind of up to Nate to make sure that one of those two backcourt guys are on the floor at all times. So, you know, it's not going to hammer that point home too much harder, but that's definitely a priority. But I like them. Like, I mean, what Clint Capella does as a rim threat, a guy that hangs around the dunker spot on offense, a screen setter, and on defense, he's a fantastic interior defender, rebounder. He does what he needs to do. John Collins, the fact that he is knocking down threes at a higher clip than he did in the regular season is a positive. Like I made the note on Twitter that the Knicks just kind of haven't cared when he's outside the arc in terms of like Atlanta running double drag or him just kind of spotting up on the weak side of the floor. They are very much like, Hey, if he beats us, he beats us. And he has been beating them. They should care. He, he's, he's yeah. too good. He's too good to do that. I mean, I, I get it because he's not a high volume guy, but yeah, he's pretty proven as a, if, if he's, if he's set and open, he's going to make it more often than people want him to make it. Yeah. Like John Collins can just shoot. That, that's just kind of where we're at. Like we're, we're now working with what a two year sample of this now. Yep. Two and a half years. Like he, he can just firmly shoot again, not, Davis Bertans in terms of like the volume <laughs> no. or the range, but like pick and pop looks like you need to have like a normal closeout. It can't be a light closeout or them just completely selling out in the middle of the floor and just leaving him like 10 feet of space in the corner where he can just kind of do his taxes before taking shots. Like you can't <laughs> do that. To, you can't do that. John Collins, but like he can space and can roll. 
I've been fine with him on defense for the most part in this series. Yeah, um, has had some some ugly reps within the first couple of games, you know, defending in space. But for the most part, like he's done his job. They have a lot of pieces. They have a lot of offensive talent. Um, I wish they had another wing, uh, another two way wing. I would say. It's supposed to be Cam Reddish, guys. It's supposed to be. Yeah, it should have been. Yeah, yeah. And, like, Cam just had a weird year. Let's just uh, – we can leave it there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he had a weird year, and I also don't know if he returns for the second – if he's just done or if he's back in the second round. Like, I don't know. What it seems like he's probably not going to play, but they, they refuse to rule him out, so I, I don't know, honestly. Like, he'll, he'll be reviewed in, like, a few days again, but – it's a situation where they definitely can't bank on him helping them because he hasn't played in a long time. Yeah. So, like, that's where I go as far as, like, my my shortcoming with Atlanta. Because, look, that dude, they have a requisite amount of shot creation. Like, Trey Young's incredible. Bogdan is good. Gallo can shoot and get to the free throw line. It's been a little weird for him. It's been a – it's odd. Like, I felt better about Gallo on defense than I have with him on offense. It's in this crazy, series. but it's true. I said the same thing. <laughs> it's, so, it's so bizarre because that's – you know, Gallo, I've – I try to be nice about it, but he's not a good defensive player at all. And yeah, there have been many moments in this series when he's been better defensively than offensively, which is just not supposed to happen. And it's happened in the series. Yeah. So I'm kind of waiting on some course correction on that front. Like yeah. I would expect him to start knocking down shots. He was good in game four. He was good in game four. He made, I think, I think, I think he had 21 points on like, I don't know, 13 dreams or something like that. So he was efficient and good in game four, but there hasn't been a lot of that in the series. Right, right, right. So <clears throat> I think the Hawks match up pretty well against Philadelphia, honestly. Like, it's a similar deal to the Knicks to where, like, Philly's going to play drop mostly, and that bodes well for a guy like Trey. That bodes well for Kevin Herter if the defense is already built. That bodes well for Bogey. Like, they can, they have built-in shots. What I worry about a little bit, and this is something that Steve touched on during our most recent pod, um, like Philly does have a little bit more equity to switch than New York does. So they do have building encounters to kind of close out, close up some of those gaps. And then on the other end, like Click Appel is very good. Like he still is in Joel Embiid. No. So I kind of worry about what that looks like. But th- this is a good Hawks team. Like I don't anticipate Hawks Sixers being a short series at all. Like I would be, I think it would take. And I don't want this, obviously, but I, I think it would take an injury somewhere for the series to go any shorter than six. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I was going to ask you about that just because, you know, obviously all all caveats, the, the Hawks series is not over against the Knicks. We both think that they're going to win it. Um, it's not over. But um, because you're here, I have to ask you about that series. And I, we saw, I was talking actually offline with somebody about this yesterday. It feels like the Sixers, not this is very oversimplified, but the Sixers are the just much better version of the Knicks in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um and they have more talent and all that. And obviously, Atlanta is going to be the underdog in the series. They, they have to be. They won't have home court. Philly was the number one seed. Like, no one's saying otherwise. But it does feel, and you sort, of, you sort of alluded to it, it does feel like the Hawks do match up well. I've said the whole time that of the three top teams in the East, I'd rather see the Sixers if I was the Hawks than the other two. Right. Do you agree with that? Uh, seems, it sounds like you do. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. It, it just matches up well. Like, I don't think, you know, Trace had some success against Philly in the past. They don't match up. I mean, maybe they'll just throw Ben Simmons on the entire series. I don't know. Uh, what would you do uh, not to go way down this rabbit hole? But if you're if you're Philly, do you just put Simmons and Tybal on him the entire time and try to overwhelm him with size, or what's what's the plan there for Philly? Yeah, that's what you do. Like that. That's just <clears throat> yeah. Like Ben Simmons should not see a second on anyone else. 
that's kind of what Unless I would do too. I mean, if the Hawks have to hope that that doesn't happen, but I, I, I agree. But I mean, not, I'm not going to make you pick that series, but it does seem like the Hawks can make that a competitive series in a way that I think some people nationally may not expect. I feel like mm-hmm. that's a pretty good matchup for them. I'm not going to pick them. I don't think to win, but to your point, I think the Hawks taking that to seven, like would not stun me at all. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I, <clears throat> hey, we have to wait for these series to end. Even though I think we both are. It's, in yes, it's not it's over. All, all, ca- <laughs> all caveats. I'm not going to be embarrassed here. Uh, we are not. We're not declaring victory on any series. <laughs> yeah. So I would need to. <clears throat> I would need to go back through like the regular season games Same. and some of that film just to kind of look at what actually happened. But I would just say without having done that yet and just looking at what these two teams are right now, like I think there's a greater than like. 30% chance that the Hawks can win that series. Yeah, like, I mean, I, like I, I, feel, I I agree with you. I feel like the betting market's going to be more than that um, uh, towards Philly, but I, I'm going to be definitely higher than the baseline, I feel like, on the Hawks' chances in the series. Yeah, like, I, I just think they they have building – like, if it turns into a half-court battle late in games, like, I think the Hawks have more avenues to score than the Sixers do. I mean, the obvious counter to that is that Joel Embiid is just the best player in the, <laughs> in the series. So it might not matter if the Hawks can score in three ways and the Sixers can score in one if the one is Joel Embiid. But I I don't know. Like I I like I like the matchup. Like it's gonna be a very fun series. It's gonna be one of those things to where the games are gonna take a distinct look. And if it's more up tempo, pushing in transition, like you know the Hawks are in control. And if it's a grinded out type deal, then you know the Sixers are able to get stops and set their defense and do what they need to do. Like it'll be very obvious to tell who's taking control of whatever game it is. Yeah, I, I agree. That should be it. Should be fun if it happens again. If it happens, uh, <laughs> final thing before I let you get out of here, uh, I'll ask you for two things. Uh, number one, give me the doomsday path for the Knicks to get back in this series. Like, what has to happen for for New York to make it interesting again? And number two, your actual prediction for how this ends is it going to be Hawks in five or whatever else happens from there? Um, the doomsday is that the Knicks just fully commit to trapping Trey. Because they've only done it a handful of times, and Trey has like dribbled out of it. He's made the right read early, <clears throat> so like the Hawks have counters. But I think the pathway is doubling Trey. You make like John Collins or Clint Capella make short roll reads, and you trust your guys to kind of rotate behind the trap and close out on shooters if the kickout is made, and the Hawks can't gain any traction. They get late in clock. You get that the Knicks get something from Julius Randle, or they get something anything. from Archie. <laughs> a singular thing, yeah. So if you trap Trey and kind of, you know, slow down the flow of their offense and then get some shots to fall on the other end, then I think there's a pathway to the Knicks, you know, winning another game or two. Um, I picked Hawks and six before the series. Me too. I'm kind of Hawks and five at this point. Like, I just think the Hawks have figured out the Knicks in a way that they can't really recover from. So I, I think this thing ends with game five is Wednesday, I believe. Yes. Like, I think it ends Wednesday if I'm being honest with you. Yeah, I think I also basically agree with you across the board. Uh, You know, the Hawks um, are, are, I think they're probably going to be like maybe a coin flip or underdogs in the betting market in game five. And I think they'll probably see the Knicks best shot in that game. I think I'd still Mm -hmm. pick the Hawks, not like overwhelmingly so in game five, but 
Um, it would stun me if it goes beyond six at this point, but uh, you know, nothing is over. I've been clear on that. And listen, <laughs> there, there is the, uh, there's the Atlanta sports history. Uh, I'm not going to get into it now, but there's some, oh, no. uh, there are some demons out there. Oh, so no. If they start, if they start getting a little bit shaky in game five, you're going to, you're going to start hearing the national. Oh, here we go with Atlanta. It's going to happen. So just be prepared for that. It's going to happen. Oh man, I, I can't believe we made it this far to the pod without that being referenced. Well, I, I tried not to a lot yesterday after the win. I was trying to let people celebrate the victory and all that stuff. I'm more of a pessimist by nature, so. Uh, but it, I do think I do think the Hawks are in a great spot here. They they, they should win the series, um, and then uh, we can get into Philly. There, I wanted to at least make sure we talked about it for a second, but with every caveat possible. So I appreciate you uh, indulging me on that. Um, all right. Well, I've taken enough of your time. The guys, I appreciate it. Anything you want to plug, please go ahead and do so. I, I will go ahead and recommend at the highest level your podcast because I am a listener and uh, it's an awesome show. I appreciate that, man. Yes, please check out the Dunker Spot podcast that I do with Steve Jones Jr., former assistant coach in the NBA, former video coordinator. We dig into this stuff pretty deeply. A lot of X's and O's talks. Uh, we try to inform the readers. We also throw out puns and by we i mean steve they will make you sigh it's so, it's so <laughs> easy comedic relief yes they will they will throw you for a loop but yes please subscribe we're, we're everywhere you get your podcast apple spotify google stitcher podbean whatever so check us out there you can check out my written work at basketballnews.com i will be obviously posting playoff content throughout the postseason so be on the lookout for that and you can just follow me on twitter at nikaias nba you uh, wrote about the Hawks this weekend. That's still available and should be read by folks. Uh, you were in the building, as I said before, so uh, it was good to see you there. I appreciate you coming on the uh, coming on the show. I will probably beg you to come on another point, but uh, thank you, sir, for coming on. Oh, no problem, man. Just let me know. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you after Game 5. <laughs>